0: Me. We're going to be starting in verse 21 and go through the end of the chapter, verse 41. It's a a long narrative of of an event that's going to be easy to go through. It really is. Uh, It's not as long as it seems by looking at it. But I am going to read those 21 verses as we stand. In honor of God's Word, of course, we are standing. Follow along as I read. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the word of God. Luke writes, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, You see in here that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world... Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, therefore, cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's a mob mentality for you, right? And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward, And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, all with one voice cried out for about two hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? and the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Some translations will read our goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, let the court... Uh, The the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give to account for this this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And Father, as we look at this, we pray that you would speak to our hearts through this passage. Through the actions of these citizens of, of Ephesus, the, uh, uh, the, the tradesmen, the, the craftsmen, and all, and all that's going on here, Lord. I, I pray that you, by your spirit, would teach us, that he would lead us into all your truth, that he would bring to remembrance the things that your word brings to our hearts. And Lord, that our Lord Jesus would be magnified, that he would be honored, that he would be glorified in this time. So, Lord, have Your way with our hearts as You continue Your work of molding us and shaping us into the image of our Lord. As in His name, that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Well, all through the uh, the three, and this, of course, is during the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, but. All through the course of those journeys, at each stop that he would make as he would preach the gospel, he found great opposition, didn't he? And yet at the same time, he found great success in that the Lord gave his word to do a work in the hearts of the people who would hear it, bringing faith to those hearts, faith in Jesus Christ. And here we see in the beginning of this passage Verses 21 and 22, basically Paul coming to a place where he had, um, he, he was satisfied that the Lord has done his work through him here in the city of Ephesus. Here for a period of probably over two and a half years at this point in time. Let's, let's remember this, he'd been there for two and a half years. A lot of teaching through the word of God, a lot of proclaiming that Jesus of Nazareth is the, the Jewish Messiah, that he's the savior of the world, that, that he died to save uh, uh, people, not only Jews, but Gentiles alike from their sins. And Ephesians were coming to Christ. And, and, and so as that was taking place, he, he had been praying about where his next move would be, where he would go. And so we see there in verse 21, the uh, reality that he was purposed in the spirit, this means that, he, that he, he was prayed up and that he was being led by the Spirit. That's what this means. The purpose in his own heart was a purpose that God had given to him. It was God's purpose for him. And how do we find God's purpose for us? Well, through much prayer and the reading of God's Word. You know, as we, you know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit promises that he's going to give direction us. Uh, We we just heard a psalm uh, in in which that was written, David writing this psalm that uh, 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 Vince spoke out, Psalm 32, verse 8. You know, in the New King James Version, the, the end of that says, I will guide you with my eye. You know, and God wants to guide us. He's given us his Holy Spirit to do that. So we're we're not left without help, we're not left without direction, it's not just simply the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit, and this is the the, the great thing, I I can't help but say this at this moment as, as we're talking about this, but the whole idea that the Holy Spirit gives the Word of God to man to write for us, and then as we read it, He being in us, with us, upon us, He being with us gives us understanding of that, and so you know, we, it's like we've got this incredible book of God's truths that he inspired men to write. And we've got the author of these truths basically in us to explain it to us. And we just have to ask him, Lord, what does this mean? What, is this, what truth are you speaking? And, and I would encourage you in this way, as, as you read the scriptures, you know, and even as you go through various uh, experiences in your life, you know, one of the things we often wonder is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here, right? I would encourage you th- this. While he does want to teach us through these things, he does, I think the greater purpose of his is that he wants to change us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. So you know the, the, the more appropriate question, I believe, is, Lord, how do you want to change me? What area of my life are you speaking to in my heart right now that, that needs to be changed? Because I want to be changed. I want to become more like you, Jesus. What are you saying to me? And we learn things for that purpose, not just to know them, but that we will be changed. From the inside out, amen. So that's what he wants to do. So, so once again, we see here, and we're, and and in those verses afterward, of course, in verse twenty-two, uh, he, he sent in Macedonia two of the people, a part of his team, his missionary team, who were, who were with him, serving him, Timothy and Erastus by name. He sent them. Back to Macedonia, Timothy, of course, being from Macedonia. Erastus was not. But he sent them to, uh, uh, there to Macedonia while he remained there in Ephesus, meaning he stayed in Asia. And so they went to uh, uh, the, the, the north part of Greece. There's Macedonia in the north, Achaia in the south, right? And Macedonia is where Berea, uh, Lystra, that, that's where Timothy was from. Uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, up in Macedonia, that's where he sent he sent him, and he had a particular reason for doing that, which, for which we'll be looking at in just just a moment. But then we see in verse 23, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. As I mentioned just a moment ago, everywhere Paul went when he preached the gospel, as that gospel was making an impact, you know, uh, there was a great commotion that, that would take place, you know, and... I think something for us to ask ourselves is, is, is the question, are, are, is there any kind of commotion taking place in our own lives? Or maybe we should say in the lives of people around us as we share the gospel and as we live it. As people are seeing that and hearing that, hearing these truths, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit coming in such a way that people are responding, either by bowing to Christ or by opposing him, and sometimes very violently opposing him. You see, where the the gospel is being preached, where the word of God is being taught honestly and correctly, when his truths are, are proclaimed, then the Holy Spirit is going to bring conviction and it's going to cause a response on the hearer. Some kind of response. And, and sometimes we don't like the response. Sometimes it's not comfortable. And, and uh, here in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, as well as in the, in the letters that Paul wrote, he, he wrote of these things. He experienced them as much as anybody, probably more than anyone. He himself became a martyr for Christ, didn't he? And there are literally millions and millions of martyrs for Jesus Christ over the many years since the church was birthed, as we saw in the first part of the book of Acts. And we might wonder, will I be one who might receive that honor? Have you guys ever think about that? Would it be an honor for you to die for Jesus? That's gonna be an honor just to die in Jesus. But it's an added honor to die for him. You know, so it's a question that we might we might ask. So whether it was Jerusalem, Antioch, Lystra, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, or here in Ephesus. Problems arose because of the the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we see Time and time again in, uh, in, in Paul's ministry, it seemed always to revolve around the opposition from the Jewish leadership. Opposition from the established religious system. And, and you know, I'm, that, that just makes me think. I, I, I get why some people don't like church. Because sometimes church can just be an established religious system in which there's no life. But I pray that as we hold our church assemblies, as we have a church service, as we are being a gathering of the church, as we've come to worship and praise our God and to be blessed by him in that he writes his word upon our hearts, he pours his Holy Spirit out upon us so that we might be changed to be more into the image of Christ. You see, as we are changed and we love people the way that Jesus has loved us, then that whole thing of a, of a religious system, you know, the, 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 the religious organization and so forth, all those kinds of things, they just kind of go away. And it's just a group of people who love Jesus and they're inviting me to join them as a lover of Jesus. One that not only is a lover of Jesus, but was first loved by him. That's how that works, doesn't it? We find out how much he loved us because he gave himself for us. As John, the Apostle John writes in in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. That's how that works. So we must continually used by the Lord. We, we must put ourselves in a place so that we can be used by the Lord in that way. Now, uh, again, here in Ephesus, we, we, we read through this particular passage already and we see what this is all about. It is not so much now in Ephesus, the uproar from the Jews about their disagreement that Jesus is their Messiah. It is an uproar based on the fact that Ephesus was the center for the worship of the uh, Greek goddess Diana, and as she was worshipped there, her her her, her um, the temple to, to worship her was just outside the city, about a mile and a half away from the central part of, of Ephesus. And, and by the way, um, I had the opportunity uh, some years ago. It was back in the back in the nineties. You know some. 26, 27 years ago, something like that. Uh, I went on a tour of the, the churches of Revelation, Ephesus being one of them. We went to the city of Ephesus, and the, the way that city has been reconstructed, the ruins, you know, is discovered, and then reconstructed, put back together. The, the streets are down, and, and portions of the buildings are there, and the pillars, and all, just incredible. Just incredible, it truly is. Uh, but the site of the, uh, uh, the temple Outside of the city, hasn't been rebuilt to that extent, but it's there. They know that it's there. It, it, it was discovered uh, some time ago, and even the altar uh, of, uh, of, of Diana in that site was just discovered as recently as 1965. So, you know, the, the discoveries are continuing to be made. And, and th- again, that's another blessing about the Bible, We see the archaeological digs and everything that they find, it it basically confirms the truth of what's here. So what is found is described here or or, or something that that during that time that's mentioned here is discovered. And it just shows that, you know, the Bible is consistent in terms of uh, of this historical writings and so forth. It's just crazy. You know, I mean, ask a Mormon if they found any archaeological discoveries about Jesus visiting South America. They haven't found them yet. In fact, I don't even know if they're digging for them because they know that they're they know they're not there. You know what I mean? I, I mean, it's crazy what people will believe. What people will believe, but the Mormons have done a very good job of of portraying themselves as this family first kind of a uh, of a group of people, you know, and. A lot of broken families in our culture. It appeals to them. We need to do the same, but within the context of God first, not family first. But as God comes first, he fixes families. You know, and that, that, that's what he does. Well, here in, in, in Ephesus, of course, it's about this whole thing with, with the worship of Diana. And having been there over a couple of years now, Paul preaching the gospel, people turning to him. To, to, turning to, to Christ. You know, um, and, and we've talked about this in, in uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, we, we see the apostle Paul writing about how the Thessalonians turned from idols to God to serve the, the, the living and true God. And that's really what's taking place here in Ephesus as well, that God is being worshipped by those now who had been worshipping Diana. So they're not buying their little shrines anymore. And as they share the gospel with others, they're not, they're not involved in those things anymore. And, and, and that ought to be taking place wherever the gospel is being preached. I mean, um, for many of us, you know, the for example the liquor industry took a hit because we stopped drinking. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, it, it's known that through some of the evangelists that, that were traveling in, in uh, you know, the 1800s and so forth, uh, um, the names aren't coming to me at the moment, but you know, it, it, it was recorded that, that bars were closing down because people stopped going to the bars. Sadly, and this, this of course, is, is, is in Europe is what I'm thinking about. Uh, it, it took place here in, in America as well. But sadly, as the world makes its, you know, continues to bring its temptations and continues to have its way in the hearts of people, you know, uh, People turning away from Christ, families not following after, you know, and, and we can't get into all the details and how that all happened and so forth, but in a failure for Christianity to continue to thrive, then the world begins to enter in. And one of the things as I've been in, in, in Europe, England in particular, you know, just uh, England and Wales, uh, seeing places that formerly were a place of worship now. a a nightclub for example seeing those kinds of things taking place you know and so so we see those things we see those things even today but the point being here in this situation the preaching of the gospel was reaching hearts people were being changed now worshipping the true and living God not worshipping Diana anymore and business was down business was down for these idol makers these craftsmen. And so Demetrius, who he was probably the, the head, maybe the president of the local craftsman union, <laughs> you know, and uh, he got them together and said, listen, we got a problem, guys. You know, this guy Paul, he's been ca- causing problems, not just here in Ephesus, but all through Asia. Boy, what a blessing. What a compliment to his ministry. Of course, it was a work of God through him, But he was devoted to do the work, wasn't he? He he was devoted to listen to what God had to say, and he would go to where God would send him. He would preach the gospel, and people would respond, and people were being changed. You know, and and, and what what, what an incredible blessing that is. But this is one of the responses that the world will have against us. You know, and and here with with, with Demetrius, as he brought the people together, he goes, you guys know that we've been been making a pretty good living here. Now it's being threatened. And then he says, not only that, but even our goddess Diana, her name is being tarnished here. He's saying stuff like things made with hands are not God's. That's not good for business, but it's not good for the name of Diana either. And, and, you know, he brought that in. it does seem to be that his main concern was his, was his livelihood. But he threw in the, the religious aspect of it. But, you know, I, I I shared just a moment ago what Jesus said about how if the world hates you, know this, it hated me first. I want to share that scripture with you. Several verses, John 15, verse 18 to 19, and then verse 21, it's up on the screen for you. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Now we are in the world, not of it, right? Not of this world. In this world, not of this world. Where is our first citizenship? In heaven, right? We are citizens of heaven. So not of this world. If you were of this world, Jesus said, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of this world, but I chose you out of the world, you were of the world, but now you're not. We're of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world, right? Therefore, the world hates you. Guys, that's a truth that we need to know and understand is that the system of this world hates any follower of Christ and will do what it can to destroy you because this is war, right? Spiritual warfare. And the enemy too often has his way with people who are Coming to Christ or wanting to come to Christ or making steps toward coming to Christ and bringing all these things. You know, we've got the parable of, of the sower and the seed that illustrates some things for us on why people don't receive the, the seed uh, of God's word into their hearts because their hearts just aren't ready to receive it for various reasons. And the world has a lot to do with it and us being influenced by the world, but our hearts being opposed. To God as well. You know. I, I, I never realized. I don't know about you guys. Probably the same. Before I came to Christ. I never saw myself. As an enemy of God. At enmity with him. But when I started reading my Bible. I discovered that I was. That's just the spiritual nature. Of what we are without Christ. Before we come to Christ. You know. We can say that we love him, we know him, but do we really? Well, the proof is in the pudding, right? But the point is that I was against Christ, I didn't realize this. But let's keep on going here. Therefore the world hates you, verse verse 19. Then, Then verse 21, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Now, there are times that it would seem that we as the church, as appalled as we can get at the way that the world around us is in terms of their opposition to truth, their opposition to what is just simply morally right, you know, um, The big thing in our culture right now is transgenderism, isn't it? That's the big thing right now. It's going to pass. I mean, not tomorrow. I pray that it would, but it'll take a while. It'll pass. And then in its wake, there is going to be thousands, if not millions, of young people who are absolutely destroyed they bought into the lie and they're going through these transgender changes and things like that, the the, the drugs and everything, the the changing their body images, parts of their bodies being mutilated for the sake of this transgenderism, and 10 years down the line, maybe sooner, already there are reports of a number of, of, of young people who are regretting what they've done and they are just a psychological mess. Suicide taking place because of it. It's all a part of the spiritual warfare and our enemy, our adversary, the devil, destroying lives. Who Jesus told us in John chapter 10, he came to, to seek and to kill and destroy. Do you guys have any doubt about that? Okay, now, my point being this, That kind of illustrates the point to some degree. But with all this stuff that's going on, and we can be appalled by it, but are we surprised? We should not be. Why would we expect the world to act like they're Christians? Why would we expect people who don't know Jesus to act like they do? We see here, Jesus himself said in John 15, 21, they do these things to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. Lives being destroyed because they don't know God. So we ought not to be protesting the actions so much as maintaining the right of free speech so that we can share the gospel with people who can find life. It's because they don't know God is the reason these things are taking place. And how can they know God if they're not told about him? But if everything that we say about Jesus becomes hate speech, and it's getting more and more and more in that direction, um, there is a bill before the California legislature right now, you know, and... um, my brother, Dirk, sent this to me yesterday, and I forgot to write the, the number of it down. Um, but it's, it's a bill about transgenderism and the way that we are raising our children. And if a parent does not acknowledge transgenderism in his or her child, that parent can be charged with child abuse, according to this bill, if it passes. And, and have you guys heard about this bill? Anyone heard about it? You know, um, look it up. Um, I wish I had the number with me. I don't have, you know, actually I actually have it on my phone. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, what our, that's what our state, and this is happening in state after state. You know, the liberal states leading the way, California being the most liberal of them all. In some sense, I'm, I'm thinking, knowing our state, knowing our legislators, I'm thinking, well, what took them so long, you know, kind of a thing. I expected something like this, but they basically are changing the the California statute describing families. The the family code and what is a family is being changed. And and it's basically saying if your child, if if you have a little boy that comes home and says, and it says nothing about age, if your eight-year-old little boy comes home saying, "I, I think I'm a girl. If you fight against that, he goes to school and tells his teacher that. It gets reported to the to the local uh L, LBGTQ, LMNOP um, group. That they can report that to the, the to the officials. You'll be investigated. You can be criminally charged for child abuse and your child will be taken away from you. That's, That's where we're headed we're headed pray 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 that some common sense will come to these people and our legislators who have no sense they just don't you know i've I've shared with you you know i keep saying this and i'm going to say it again you know i mean when people get an agenda i don't care who it is i don't care what your agenda is but when you've got an agenda and your purpose is to fulfill this agenda whatever it may be then we are not open to truth because truth always comes from the outside. Truth always comes from the outside. It comes from the word of God in terms of spiritual truth, moral truth, and so forth. Not being open to truth makes us turn a blind eye and we basically just become stupid. Just a bunch of crazy, Stupid people who will say that it's wrong to say that a man cannot have a baby. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So let, let, we, we want to be careful how we address the issue. Let's be aware that we are in war. Let's be aware that our state legislators, not understanding that they're being manipulated by evil forces, the demonic realm, not aware of that, thinking that it's good for the children. I think they really believe that. I I really do. That's what they believe, but they are dead wrong. But in that, they're going to be used by the great destroyer, Satan himself, to destroy children. Children need parents who love them and know the truth. And want to guide them in the truth, and when the world deceives them, is there to break that deception through the knowledge of the truth of God's word. Amen. That, that's what that, that's what God has given to us. So we need to be there for them. We need to be there for them. I didn't mean to spend so much time on that. Maybe we won't finish. But those are important issues, guys. You know, I'm not. I'm not big on on. Uh, on getting involved in politics, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved in politics. I don't want to be one who who preaches about politics. I want to preach, give God's word, but God's word certainly affects our social, the, the, our society, and, and the political realm is one that affects society as well. We just need to be aware of these things, and then respond accordingly. Not just not just simply pray, but make some phone calls and maybe write some letters or send some emails or whatever the case might be in regard to these things. Not surprising of any warfare that takes place anywhere whenever the word of God is being preached. Well, we we see that Paul desires to go to Macedonia Timothy and Erastus are basically leading the way there. He wants to go to Jerusalem after that. And then he said he must see Rome. We're not told here why Paul wants to do this. But Paul does share with us some things in some letters that he wrote, especially to the Corinthians. I have two passages from the Corinthian letters, 1 Corinthians 16 and then 2 Corinthians 8 and then Romans chapter 15 that brings that sheds some light on this and the letter to the Corinthians by the way were written from Ephesus by the apostle Paul so right around this time he was writing things these things to them First Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16:1 through 4 now concerning the collection for the saints as i have given orders to the churches of Galatia so you must do also the glacier is there in um, uh, Asia. On the first day of the week, let each, of you, each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. What Paul wanted to do, because because of the gospel in in Judea, Jerusalem in particular, there was a lot of persecution taking place taking place against the Jerusalem Christians. The these Jewish people becoming Christians, and because of their faith in Christ, rather than following after Judaism, they're still Jews. And, and the apostles, of course, Jesus himself, as a Jewish man continued to worship according to the Jewish uh, uh, tradition and according to Jewish law and so forth. But Christ had come, and by this time, of course, the, the church had been established. Still Jews who were worshiping Christ, right? But these Christian believers in Jesus of Nazareth were losing their jobs because they stood by Jesus. You know, guys, it's nothing new... For people to lose their jobs because they want to stand up for Jesus. It's nothing new. Nothing new at all. But we need to be praying for our culture that that begins to happen less. I don't think so. The way we see the culture going. But might we remain strong? And if our jobs are threatened because we want to stand up for Christ, well, who's your provider that? company you work for that person you work for or God himself you know the word tells us that God honors the one who honors him if you honor Christ on your job and because of that you lose your job I believe God's going to continue to provide for you he's your provider he's just using this place you work for to provide for you and if that's not gonna work, he'll find another place to provide for you, for you. We have to believe that. We have to believe that. But this is what was happening there. So because of that persecution, people losing jobs, so a lot of people were 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 were, were poor financially because of that. They want to take a collection there in Macedonia, um, Asia and Macedonia from these Gentile, mostly Gentile churches, send it to Jerusalem to help these Jewish believers in Jesus. That's what was going on. 2 Corinthians 8, we see in verses 1 through 7 these words, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the church of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, remember he's writing this to Corinth, a city in southern Greece, Achaia, and he's telling them about the response of the churches up in Macedonia, up in in northern Greece, right? That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring with us, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. I want to pause there. I can I can see Paul. He just responded to them, to them by saying, you know, guys, you guys are not all that well off either. You shouldn't be sending so much, kind of a thing. They said, no, 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 we want to give this, we want to give, you know, is that, is, that's what it was like. And not only, verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. God first, their spiritual leaders, leadership, secondly, they gave themselves to And then they responded to what Paul and and, and the apostles were saying in regard to this. So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. And then writing something to the Romans as well, a church that Paul did not establish, but was there in Rome. As we saw in in verse uh, 21, he wanted to make sure that he went to Rome. He wasn't going to establish a church, but he wanted to be there and visit. He wanted to be an influence in their lives, but not establish a church that already had been there. But he writes in verse 25 to 27 in Romans 15, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. See how this all works together? I love this about God's word. You know, you read the book of Acts, read the letters, you see how it all comes together. And it's like it's just a a wonderful uh, way to study the word of God. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution. So apparently his letter to the Corinthians was responded to because in Achaia they were making an offering for those in Jerusalem, right? make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem it pleased them indeed and they are their debtors for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things their spiritual things the the Jews their spiritual things their duty is also to minister to them in material things there's a spiritual truth there that we must abide by but in this case we see that, that that Paul is telling them you know the Messiah came from the Jewish people. He himself is a Jew. The truths that we know, that we read, that we teach came from these Jewish people. You know, the, the, the scribes and so forth, writing it down for us so painstakingly to make sure that we get the truth and that it does not change. We owe them something. And that's basically what he's telling them. So. So. Paul goes there to collect the offering, and he wants to go to Jerusalem. A couple things that we want to see in regard to this. The, uh, the saints there in Macedonia and Achaia, as well as Asia, who are contributing to the financial need of the Jews, shows something. It emphasizes the church's unity. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 24b, the last part of the verse, through verse 26, he writes, But God composed the body, the body of Christ, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. What he's saying there is there's greater honor to the part of the church which seems not to have honor. Like I've got an up up front position as a member of the church of Jesus as a pastor. There's greater honor bestowed upon those who are behind the scenes, not up in front. God gives them greater honor for their faithfulness to do the work that needs to be done. And prayer life in particular is highlighted among those. That there should be no schism in the body, like there can be between Jews and Gentiles, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice. With that member, also emphasizes the love of these Gentile followers of Christ, followers of the way, as described here in this chapter. It's a demonstration uh, of that faith as well. James two fifteen to seventeen. And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead. So it is a demonstration of faith, giving to help the poor. In terms of Rome, we've talked about that already. I do want to point something out. A little bit later in Acts 23, we see Paul being discouraged because of his, because of the warfare in Jerusalem, and it's in Jerusalem at this time in Acts 23 that this takes place. We see here that that verse tells us in verse 11, chapter 23, but the following night the Lord stood by him, by Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So he understands that he is going to go to Rome. But also we see in Romans chapter 15, which we quoted from just a moment ago, in verses 22 through 29, we see these words. I quoted from among, from, from among this, this verse earlier. Verse 22, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. It was really in Paul's heart to go to Spain and he wanted to go to, to Rome on his way to Spain. But Spain was his destination. Uh, Luke emphasizes Rome because of the importance of that city, of course. but Spain was on the western outskirts of the Roman Empire. The uh, gospel had not come there yet. It had reached Rome. He's just going to stop, fellowship a while, see what's going on. And then go to Spain. And we don't know, according to scripture, if he ever made it. We simply do not know. It just kind of reminds me, um, Pastor David Rosales, whom I still consider to be my pastor. I was with him for a number of years, serving alongside of him before we came here to Upland. And for years, he was praying about Spain about establishing a work in Spain, and guess who God used to do that, us, isn't that a blessing, I, I, I tease him about that once in a while, and he's very happy about it, he is, he is, uh, and uh, he's been to Spain, Spain a few times with us, but it uh, uh, just, just reminds me of that, but this is what Paul wanted to do. Um, we see it, verse 24, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey, and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia. We just read that. Um, verse, verse 28, let's pick up there. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. And so he's on his way to Spain through Rome. Now, in verses 23 to 41, a lot of verses there that describe this riot that takes place there in Ephesus. We read it. And there's not a lot to add to what we read there. This is why I, I believe we can get through this fairly quickly. But obviously, as I mentioned, the, uh, the, the, the main concern uh, of, of these silversmiths, the other craftsmen, was their, their means of making a living was being hindered, was being hurt through the preaching of the gospel. And so they wanted that preaching to be stopped. And, and you know, when, when you combine financial needs with, 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 with their belief, the superstitious belief that this Diana, a, a, a goddess of, of Greece, that her, her image being tossed out of the heavens by Zeus himself, landing there in their area in a temple built on that site. That's kind of the way that they believe this took place. Um, and, and then they, they came to a place of earning money because of all this and, and all the little idols that they would make for Diana, of Diana, for the worship of her and all. It's like, you know, we, we, we can't abandon our faith because look at the money we're making, right? That, that, that's kind of their situation there. You know, and um, as we understand that, You know, this riot basically was fueled by materialism, not over a religious fervor. But that was added, and it 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 increased the fervor. It did, but it basically was the materialism thing. Um, I want to read a passage out of Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verses 16 to 20. The Lord is speaking through Isaiah about idols and idol-making. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it, he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it, prays to it, and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. He's talking about how we'll take a hunk of wood, cut it in half, Utilize part of it for, you know, food and heat and so forth. The other part, and make it into an idol. So, verse 18, they do, not underst- they, they do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, listen to this, nor is there a knowledge nor understanding to say, I burn half of it in the fire, Yes, I've also baked bread on its coals. I've roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? The answer to that is yes. That's what they were doing. He feeds on ashes. Look at this. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? That's a powerful passage. It's not just idols that we might make out of wood or some kind of metal, silver or something. Idols that are in our hearts. You know, and we have plenty of idols around us, guys, in our culture. We talked about transgenderism. That, that, the, the theme of transgenderism has become an idol in our country because so many people are believing the lie. Cannot, they, they cannot understand. They don't, they don't even ask the question, is there not a lie in my right hand? Is it not a lie that, trans, that our, our gender is determined at birth the way that, that God created us? And all these other things. I mean, there's a lot of things to this whole issue. That we need to help those who are confused about their gender. Help them to see truth rather than help them to believe in their believing of the lie, which is going to bring destruction to them. And I, I would dare say that the Lord is going to use it in people's lives to bring them to faith in him we need to be faithful to pray for people who are, who have this confusion but you know um meanwhile you know their the, the lives are being destroyed here in this you know while in this world you know and, and it's just a, a very very difficult difficult issue of course you know um we see here Just like in Thessalonica, I mentioned this before, that these people are turning to God from the idols that they are serving. You know, it's amazing what we will say that we believe in order to live comfortably, in order to not upset the apple cart, so to speak. And that's certainly what was taking place here. The question has to come to us, will we forsake moral principles moral principles that God has given to us in his word for the sake of some sort of self-gain. Many people do. Many Christians will do that. Many so-called Christians. Our president, Joe Biden, a very committed Catholic, so he says. Killing babies in the mother's wombs. Right. if he changed his view on that. Maybe he doesn't really believe it, but he's saying he does because he gets some gain out of it. I don't know. I don't know what's in his heart. I just know what he says and what he does. You know what I mean? But we as followers of Christ can do the same thing. We've got to be careful. Proverbs 14.34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So the confusion that existed simply because of what took place. Many of them are crying one thing. Others are crying another. They're rushing into the the, the, the temple of, of Diana. They've taken a couple of Paul's uh, 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 travel companions with him, uh, Gaius and, and uh, um, who's the other one? Da, 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 Aristarchus. Uh, and they're, they're just kind of going mad in this mob mentality and stuff. And I have to say this, you know, uh, when I was – Back in 1970, uh, I was an 18-year-old sophomore attending USC, and in 1970, those of you who were around at the time, and if you weren't, maybe you read it in your history books, but uh, this was toward the end of the Vietnam War, and and, and our nation was was basically in the throes of this division over it and, and on University campuses throughout the nation. There were protests that were taking place. Uh, you guys remember that, you know? And, and I was on one of those campuses there at USC, and the protests were happening, and and the rallies were taking place, you know? And 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 I got kind of caught up with that as an 18-year-old, you know? And and, and I, I attended some of the rallies. I, I remember attending one one rally that had one of the Chicago Seven guys. I don't remember which one it was that came and spoke. You know, basically it was an anti government rally and a a, an anti involvement in in, in the Vietnam War rally. But you know what? Honestly, in my heart, what I was mostly concerned with, I just wanted to get out of class. (laughs) I really did. You know, so so the mob, you, know, you see a mob of 500 people, and on the news will say, these 500 people showed up, and it's like, you know what, maybe about 50 of them were concerned about this, the others just kind of joined the crowd, you know, I mean, that's the way it really is, that's the way it really is, that's the way it was here, you know, there were a few concerned people, wound up being, you know, uh, uh, yeah, probably a couple thousand people, you know, uh, that, that that gathered together, but... Not that many were, were really concerned about the issue at hand. They didn't even know what the issue at hand was. What's going on? I don't know. There's something going on. Let's go find out. You know that kind of a thing. That's what they were doing. Many of them. Many of them. Uh, they brought out Alexander. The Jews brought Alexander. Being a Jew, they they the, the Jews brought him out. They probably were trying to distance themselves from this from these, this group of people that were causing all this problem. Being Jews themselves. But once the crowds discovered that he was a Jew, they wouldn't listen to him. They paid him no heed whatsoever. And then the city clerk spoke. This was the guy who basically was in charge of things. You know, We think of the idea of a clerk as someone who's kind of an aide in somebody's office. That's not really the case here. F.F. Bruce wrote this. He said, this city clerk was the executive officer of the civic assembly, He acted also as liaison between, uh, the liaison officer between the civic government and the Roman provincial administration, which had its headquarters there in Ephesus. The Roman authorities would hold him responsible for the riotous assembly and might impose severe penalties on the city. And he could even lose his job. And so he finds himself in the same kind of a spot that Pontius Pilate did a few decades before. That basically, when it came down to it, and the and the and the uprising that's taking place, this has to stop, or the Roman authorities are going to get on us over it, and I could lose my job. And he'll bring penalties against the city itself. So a lot of that kind of similarity with Pontius Pilate, both of these men are are anxious to preserve their jobs, and they act accordingly. And this clerk tells these, these people, you know, guys, don't worry about Diana. Everybody knows who she is. Everybody knows that we're the, the caretakers of, of her temple and so forth. Don't worry about it. In terms of any kind of financial damages, we have courts. Use the courts. This is not the place to do it. Goodbye. That's basically what he said. Everybody knows the truth about Diana. Well, the truth is everybody believed the lie about Diana. And Paul came to set the record straight. He says that these people have not bring, brought any form of blasphemy against our gods, our goddess. Well, in speaking the truth about who really is God and that there are no gods that are made by hands, well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out, he was saying that this Diana that you worship is not really a god. He didn't say that out of his mouth, but two and two together. Uh, I, I remember on, on one instance, I I got into trouble. Well, I shouldn't say I got into trouble. I was in trouble with some people, but they didn't have any power to do anything. A, a, a funeral that I, that, that I uh, uh, officiated at a number of decades ago, it's been well over 30 years, 35 years or so, I was at Calvary Chapel, Ontario at the time, now Chino Valley, under Pastor David, and I did a funeral for a family within the church. Uh, uh, one of the young men had had a, uh, a, an accident, and he and his friend, it was a single car accident on the I-15 on the way up to, to Vegas. Uh, in the car, there were empty beer cans and so forth, and, and obviously that was an issue, and uh, I said nothing about these young men or what they did or anything. Everybody knew. I just simply gave them the gospel. I gave them the gospel about faith in Christ and and all. Well, it didn't take a rocket scientist, as I was saying, about who Christians are and our response to him in faith. You know, that didn't fit these young men. So basically, I was saying that they could not have been saved, and so they are not in heaven. And so the family got very upset with me. I didn't know them. I just wanted to speak the truth. You know, there there were phone calls that came into the office and stuff like that, and, you know, it's like, that's what happens. But the point is this. You know, when you speak the truth, the lies get exposed. That's all. When light comes into a dark room, the darkness is exposed and actually leaves. And those who like to hang out in the darkness, I mean, you know, if, if we're in the kind of a building, if we're in an old building or something, and, and we walk in and there happens to be a light switch and it's working, you turn on the light, you might see a bunch of cockroaches head for the corners, <laughs> right? When light comes into a room, the people who like to hang out in the darkness leave. They're are they're, 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 they're upset. That's what was taking place here. And so bottom line is this. What Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans 8, verse 28, proved true here in Ephesus. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The city clerk made sure that Paul had the freedom to speak his truth. Not his truth, but the truth. The one and only truth that comes from the word of God. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for that reality. We pray, God, that you'd have your way in our hearts even now. As we prepare our hearts for communion, as we prepare our hearts to seek you, to pray to you, to examine our hearts, to thank you for the truth of your word and the truth of what you have done for us. Lord, might we bow before you even now as we thank you for what you've done and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.